0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Amen. Let's take our seats. And while we're doing that, let's take our Bibles and to turn them to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is uh we continue in our mini-series by faith. Last week, we took a look at Abraham going without knowing. It was kind of cool before the first service this morning. Uh, One of the uh, men who was in uh, Centennial Community Church before it became Harvest Bible Chapel, he came to me and he was reminding me on June the 8th, whatever the year was, and just, he goes, I remember that we voted. And uh, at that point, we voted as a church to become Harvest Bible Chapel. And for him, that was the going without knowing. And, uh, and then for it to see what the Lord is doing and uh, three services and what the Lord's allowed us to do in uh, Durham. And then now in Newmarket and along with our influence in churches to serve around the world. And he's kind of on a pinch me kind of thing. Lord going without knowing. And uh, that was last week's message, Abraham from the um, a book of Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're going to take a look at Moses. Too much to ask. It's too much to ask. you ever feel like you're in over your head? You feel overwhelmed. The daily load just seems too much for you. And it might just be on the circumstances of your life, but maybe it's in the things that God has placed <clears throat> on you right now. And you're even frustrated in that. It's like, Lord, it's too much for me. And uh, we want to take a look at a man who felt that today, but at the end of his story, when it comes to Hebrews 11, he's put into that hall of faith as a person who was by faith, by faith, by faith. And so if you feel overwhelmed today, you feel like it's too much for you, you're in good company. Moses felt like that, but by faith, God did a great work in his life. So you got your Bibles open now. We're going to get you to stand up again. We want to honor God as we read his word, um, Hebrews chapter 11. Follow along as I read, starting at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. When they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Let's pray. Lord God, so often our lives are filled with a sense of overwhelm. Uh, it's too much, Lord. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can handle anymore. And Father um, Moses went through. He went through it. He had his excuses. He had his reasons. And, but at the end of the day, there never was a prophet like Moses. At the end of the day, by faith, Moses, by faith, Moses, Lord, would that be the story in our lives? People of God who are in over our heads, but trusting you and seeing how you are working and accomplishing your will for your glory. Father, I pray that you would give us ears as we hear your word today, to hear it clearly, minds to understand it. But then Lord, each one in the room, would you give us a passion that we live out the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We pray these things in his name, amen man, thank you. You can take your seats. Well, I want to set the stage again a little bit like we did last week with Abraham. We want to do that with Moses and just give you a little bit of the background. And so who are the major players in his life? The names you need to know um, if you like this kind of stuff. His father's name was Amram. Don't hear much about him, um, except for the fact that his parents had faith. Um, His mother's name was Jochebed. His sister, who's probably more famous, was uh, Miriam. And his brother's name was Aaron, he ended up marrying a lady after he was 40 years old. Her name was Zipporah and he had two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Um, So that's kind of the family bit. So he was born in the southern part of Egypt. He was born in Egypt when um, the people were in slavery. And what's going on is uh, God is favoring his people and they are reproducing and growing and the numbers are swelling. And at some point in the process, Pharaoh gets concerned about that and he says that... um, all of the uh, babies that are born, all of the males, um, they've got to be put to death. And so uh, we find that in Exodus chapter 2. And I'm going to read part of that for you. You can go there or listen. But um, in Exodus chapter 2, it says this. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months when she could hide him no longer, she took, for, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed, and dabbed it with uh, pitcherman and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, that's Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter, Uh, said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me for I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. You want to talk about an amazing story. um, This is it. Uh, They have this baby that should be being put to death, according to what Pharaoh wanted, and parents, according to Hebrews, by faith, uh, they decided they were going to hide the baby and i can 't imagine that it ever dawned on Miriam and uh, her mother to come up with this scheme that that we 're going to somehow get this baby into pharaoh 's household like, that wasn 't part of the plan, and uh, so Miriam is there watching as they 're trying to hide this three month old baby, and what did Babies do. Well, there's a couple of things they do, but one of the things they do is they cry. And uh, anyways, they get found out. And um, Miriam says, um, "Would you like me to go and find a nurse to take care of the baby?" Yeah, you do that. Well, who'd she, go? she goes and gets Moses' mother. So for the next number of years, probably twelve, anyways. But for the next number of years, Moses' mother is actually going to raise him. And if that's not good enough. She's going to get paid to do it. Um, Now, now that would be cool if every time you had a baby. Now, the Canadian government tries to kind of help us with that, but you don't get paid for it. uh, But that was in God's plan, in God's timing, in God's working. That's the way that he orchestrated all of this, all of that in the back, I'm sure, of Moses' mom. And she's realizing, though, there's going to come a day, there's going to come a day when I'm going to have to let him go. He's going to be turned over to Pharaoh's household. He was gonna be a child of great privilege as uh, he goes through his life. And uh, so she releases him. Um, Pharaoh's daughter uh, takes him, raises him some more. And he lives in all of the, the affluence that he would have had. And as he's growing up, he's been taught all of the things that God's people would be taught And so one day he's out and he sees this um, Egyptian uh, slave driver, as it were, abusing one of um, God's people and he kills him. And in fear, Moses flees. So as we get to all of this and understand how God works and what God does, let's remember that just like Abraham last week and Moses this week and you and I, um, they're not perfect people. They wrestled through their thing. And, and so he, he does this act and he flees. He goes down across the Red Sea, down into Midian. He's going to be there for about 40 years. And there he's going to meet his wife. There he's going to have kids. There he's going to meet the Lord. There he's going to get direction to move forward. All of that's going on in in Moses' life. It's while he is there that uh, Moses experiences the story, what we understand as the burning bush. And, and he sees this bush and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he's trying to figure it out and understand what's going on. And, and God says, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. Um, the Lord is speaking to him. The communication is clear. It's from God and it's what he's being called to. As we're gonna see in a few minutes, even in the midst of that, I, I would like to think that if I was looking at the burning bush that wasn't being consumed and God has told me to take off my shoes because the ground I'm standing on is holy ground and says, here's what you're going to do and here's what I want you to do, I'd be like on the yes, Lord, yes, Lord plan. Uh, but we're gonna see that he had questions and He just discouraged and he didn't know what to do and he had excuses and kind of like us in our obedience sometimes. When God makes it clear what we're supposed to do. And yet we're not sure and we wonder. And God tells him about the 10 plagues and how he's gonna lead the people through that. And he goes back into Egypt and things don't get better with the plagues. Things get worse. And now there's no straw to make the the bricks. You're gonna have to go and find that as well. And let my people go and it comes to the 10th plague, which is the Passover, the blood on the doorposts, and the angel of death will fly over. And if it's not there, uh, the the son will be put to death. And shortly after, God leads uh, allows um, Moses to lead the people out, and they go down, and they go through the Red Sea, and they go up into um, towards the promised land. They get to the edge of the promised land. They send out the spies, and the spies bring back the report. And They decide not to go in, and the disappointment, they're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses, even in this time, still struggling and wrestling and leading. Uh, But a couple things, he makes some big mistakes along the way. And eventually, he's told, you're not going into the promised land. Um, you're going to die outside of the promised land. The people will go in. And Moses is buried in a place that's called Mount Nebo in Moab, which is right across the Dead Sea from Israel. We were uh, there in 2013 and uh, stood by the Dead Sea. And you look across, you see the mountains of Nebo. And you realize that somewhere over there, Moses was buried. He saw it. He saw the promised land, but he never got there. And, uh, um, but then the Bible says there never was a prophet like Moses. Read the end of Deuteronomy after his death. And and then we come to Hebrews 11 by faith, by faith, by faith. So a man who wrestled, a man who struggled, a man who didn't have it all together, just like us, God used him and he will use us. But in his journey, there were some things that were, Lord, it's too much for me too much for me. So let's dive right now into Hebrews 11 and walk our way through some of the things that will help us in our walk and some things that should encourage us. Uh, One of them, the first one, the actual, the by faith is not about him. It's uh, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith. By faith. Faith is the trusting, In God, it's the transferring of your trust. It's the forsaking all, I trust him. Faith is the believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel because God promises a good result. Moses is supposed to be put to death, but his parents, by faith, they hide him. Some of you in the room have the privilege that I've had. That's to grow up in a family of faith where mom and dad and maybe grandma and grandpa and maybe great-grandma and grandpa and they love the Lord and you've had the privilege of that. You need to be thankful for that. There are lots of people in the room who wish they had that. Their mom and dad didn't love the Lord. As a matter of fact, their mom and dad hated the Lord. As a matter of fact, their faith, even just sitting in the room for them today means there's gonna be challenges at home at lunchtime today or tomorrow. or because, Hey, if you have parents who love the Lord, If you have parents who are parents of faith, be thankful. Be thankful for them. Rejoice in that. These people by faith take this little boy and they hide him and they protect him and and God uses that and the history of our world has changed as a result of their faith. If you've got little children by faith, They weren't perfect, just like Moses wasn't perfect. And they had their struggles, but by faith, they sought to raise him up in a way that would honor the Lord. By faith, parents, by faith. We're we're not giving up on our kids. I I don't care if they're three or if they're 33. We don't give up because they have a breath. There's still hope for them. And by faith, we're gonna trust and we're gonna hope and we're gonna believe God and we're gonna see what he will do as we move by faith. And maybe you're here today in... You're the first link in the chain. Wouldn't it be amazing if three generations from now, they're saying, by faith, about you? By faith. By faith. Thankful. So thankful for a godly heritage. Well, now let's look at Moses first thing I want us to see is by faith. By faith, he refused to conform to the world, and by faith, we refuse to conform to the world. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, The things that had been instilled in him by his mother as she raised him. He understood there was going to be a cost. There was going to be a price that would need to be paid. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction or the consequences rather than the pleasure of sin. He could have had it all. He could have had the snowmobiles and the jet skis. He could have had the best cars. He could have—okay, he couldn't have had any of that stuff because it wasn't invented yet. But he, he could have had all of the best things that there were. It was all right there for him, and he chose. He chose. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting. Pleasures of sin. Choosing has consequences. Man chose what he wanted over what God wanted for him in the garden. And there were consequences. We're separated from God without any hope. Nothing we could do about it. My sin separates me. That's the consequences of sin. Sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ had to come. He had to be the one who was the right and righteous and the only right and righteous payment for my sin because there are consequences to sin. It separates us from God. And without the finished work of Lord Jesus Christ, there's no hope for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Lord. God loved the world so much he gave his son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. There are consequences. And and Moses, he chose, he chose to follow the ways of God over the ways of the world In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here it is. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. He chose I'm gonna choose the things of God. I'm gonna choose the things of righteousness as best I can, with lots of failure, as best I can. I'm gonna live for the Lord he chose. And each one of us has to come to a place of making a decision of, first of all, what will I do with the Lord Jesus Christ? What will I do with the things that I know and I understand that have been told to me, that have been taught to me from God's word? What will I do with them? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, to transfer your trust from who you think you are and what you think you offer before God to understanding that you are nothing and all you offer to him is, is a sinful life, imperfect, and it doesn't meet his standard. But the finished work of Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you choose. And when you're saved, you're saved. You're always saved. It changes who you are because Christ in you, the hope of glory, but we also understand that we choose and there are consequences about sin every day of our lives. A couple verses from 2 Corinthians in verse six fourteen it says, do not be unequally yoked. Right now, as soon as I say that verse, most people in the room think that's about being married. Don't be unequally yoked together with someone who is not saved, okay? So let me just tell you something about that verse. It's not about that. It's not about that primarily. It is about that. That's a right. Application of the verse, but it's not the only application of the verse. It's about choosing what is right. It's about the consequences of doing right and wrong things. And so when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be unequally yoked together, he's just not talking about in marriage, although that's true. To me, that's obvious, but it's in our friendships. Are you unequally yoked? You answer the question this way Who's influencing who? The people that you are hanging out with. What's the influence they're hanging having over? Over you, And what differences is it making in your life? And what are the poor and bad decisions you make? Because you've been yoked to these people. It happens in business. People who are saved get in a business uh, partnership with somebody who is not saved. And, and it seems all good at first, and it seems like we all want really nice things. And then down the road somewhere, their things and your things are not the same. And they might want to make a fast or they might want to cut a corner or they might want to, and all of a sudden you're tied to them, you're yoked to them. The Bible says, don't be there. Don't get yourself there. People say, well, what about working for a person who's not, just quit so you can quit. But when you're tied to a thing, you're yoked. Don't be unequally yoked. It goes on in that same passage and it says, come out from among them and be separate By faith, we refuse to conform to the world. Well, let's go back to why is that a big problem for us? Why do we refuse? Why should we refuse to be conformed to the world? And why do we get conformed to the world? I think just about all of the time, it's because of um, these words people pleasing, the fear of man. People pleasing, and the fear of man. Um, In verse 27, it said, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the Lord. That was the second time he left Egypt with the people. The first time after he killed the Egyptian, he left and he was afraid Um, and fear grips so often in our lives. It gripped Moses as he worked through his weaknesses, and it grips us as we work through ours. Um, The Bible says in Proverbs 29 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. It lays a snare. Whoa, whoa, what's a snare? I've been living in Markham for six years, I have never laid a snare. I've only ever seen one rabbit in my whole time in Markham. So laying a snare to try and catch it so I can make stew is probably not a good use of my time. But if you watch like programs like Surviving in Alaska or something like that, those guys are laying snares all the time. Uh, because if you don't catch a rabbit, if you don't catch whatever you need to catch, you're going to starve to death. And so, so what do they do? Well, they find the place where the rabbits go up the little path and then they take this noose and they put it over the path and then they kind of put the stick so that the rabbits are kind of forced to go up there and the rabbit goes up and uh, he gets caught in the snare. That's what a snare is. A snare in the Bible, a trap on a well-traveled path. So God's word says the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man is what catches you up. It's what chokes you out. Moses made a decision. He wasn't going to do that. But he didn't do it perfectly. He wrestled with it and he struggled with it. And we're going to see that a little bit further on into the message. But let me tell you about five snares that you can get caught in, that I can get caught in. And you can think about the one that maybe applies to you the most. But here's the first one. It's the snare of popularity. The snare of popularity. The fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. The snare of popularity. I need you to think I am awesome. I need you to think I am something. And so everything I'm gonna do, the snare of popularity. If I'm not popular, I'm not right. There's something wrong with me. And if that's the way you are, you need to consider what God is teaching you about who's on the throne and who's first. The snare of popularity. Here's another one. The snare of gossip. I need to listen to your comments about others or you might not like me. And so uh, somebody comes to me and they start talking to me and um, i like, what I should be saying is stop. I don't have ears for this. But I'm concerned about what they might think about me. I'm concerned that if I don't listen to them, they might be talking about me to somebody else down the road and it becomes a snare. The snare of shame. I need you to think highly of me so I hide my sin. I need you to think that I'm something when I know I'm not. And so I hide it from you because if I ever let you know what is, it maybe you wouldn't like me. Like maybe you wouldn't support me like you do. Maybe you wouldn't come alongside and pray for me and help me. And you know what I love about our small groups at Harvest? That, that whole thing about accountability, it's never about, ha ha, I caught you. That's not what accountability is about. Accountability is about, hey, we're all messed up people. Let's rely and struggle together with each other and let's spur each other on to love and good deeds. We've got this snare of shame. It's a trap. How about this one, the snare of hypercompetence. Don't tell me I can't do it. I can do it. I will do it. I need you to think I can do everything Well, you're starting in a new relationship. You've got this hypercompetence thing and it's not long before people figure out you're not half what you say you are, but a snare. Or here's one. This is one that probably a lot of us get caught in, the snare of compromise. I need your support. So I'll make a concession to please you. I think I need your support. I believe I need your support. So I will compromise on some things. I will make concessions so that you will be pleased with me. Sue and I were um, at a retreat a couple weeks ago, a senior pastor's retreat and we had a whole session on this. That's where I learned what I'm talking about right now and and we went through and we were to pick out one of the things that was, the thing that kind of is where we struggle in this whole area of the the fear of man or people pleasing and then uh, we had to talk to each other about it and it was great for us as a couple to do that. I shared some of this with our staff on Wednesday and we broke up in twos and I shared with them what my thing was and, and then they shared with each other. It was an amazing thing. Aren't you glad we're not doing that this morning? Um, But what is your thing? Everybody in the room at somewhere along the, on the journey, maybe it was today, you're on a people-pleasing thing. What people-pleasing says is God isn't in the place that he should be. In Galatians chapter one, verse 10, it says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Well, how do we stop this whole people-pleasing thing? Here's five things really quick. First one is be authentic. Be authentic. First of all, be authentic with God and then with others about where you really are. Be real. Be real. Quit putting on these crazy masks all the time and pretending that you're something that you're not remember at a retreat lots of years ago dealing with a young adult man who was wrestling with some anger and some things that were going on in his life and he was ticked and he was ticked at God. And I said to him, why don't you tell the Lord? And he said these words. He said, well, I could never do that. And my eyes probably just about bugged right out of my head. I'm like, are you kidding me? Who do you think you're fooling? You think God doesn't see your heart? You don't think God doesn't already understand these things? You got this stuff going on in your life. You've got this people-pleasing thing going on in your life and you won't even be honest with God about it. Be authentic. First of all, with God. And then with somebody else around you who can help you and spur you on. And As soon and I talked about it, it's been great for us. She's asked me some great questions. I think I've asked her some good questions. Because we all get caught in this. We all want to be liked to an unhealthy level. You have to be authentic. You start with God and then with others. Here's the next one. Fear God more than what people think of you. See, often we're so caught up in, the, I don't. I'm worried about what people will think of me, that we forget about what God is thinking about us. And if you want to get a right, in a right place in this whole thing about, of compromise and, and getting past that and getting into the area of commitment to what God has for us, we've got to get to a place of, I want what God wants more. Nothing breaks the bondage of man more than the fear of God. Here's the third one. Go to God first for your identity and your worth. Go to God first for your identity and worth. When you think about who you are. How about this? Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. How about this? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Make those two of the foundation points of where you see your self-worth and your identity. And whatever somebody else says, you get that like way down the list. Because what God thinks about you is what is important. God thought enough of you to send his son to die for you. God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell you so that every day you could move forward in your walk with him. Go to God first for your identity and your worth. Trust God completely for your security and your help. See, if you're fearing man and you're hearing this message and you're thinking about friendships or a relationship or you're thinking about a work thing and you're like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And you're on the pleasing man thing. You can't do anything. You're just going to go on with that because you realize there might be a cost. There might be consequences. You might have to quit your job. You might have to end a friendship. And you might, but will you trust God for it? You can look back in your life and see probably hundreds of times God has led and directed and encouraged you. And this is a time to lean in on the Lord and watch what he will do. Trust God completely. And then here's one, love people more, fear them less. Love them more, but fear them less. Love speaks truth. So often in this whack out world of what we think about love as some mushy gushy kind of thing that doesn't say the truth. No, no, it's not loving to be untruthful to someone. It's loving to tell the truth. And it's loving to tell the truth filled with grace. And fearful people need to love people more, but fear them less. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He made a decision he, he understood it was going to cost him. It was going to cost him dearly, all of the stuff he had, all lined up, all looking really good. It's all going to be gone when he makes this decision. chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Okay, so a couple of comments about that. Here's the first one. It would be a lie for me to say that sin is not pleasurable. That would just be a lie. Sin is pleasurable. There's pleasure in sin for a season, the Bible says. Adam and Eve, they took the apple. Why? Because of the pleasure. They wanted what they wanted more than they wanted what God wanted. So anybody who ever comes up to you with some spiritual saying that said, sin isn't fun or sin, they're lying to you. There's pleasure in sin. I know it because I struggle with it every day. And you know it because you struggle with it every day. There's pleasure in sin. But it's sin that separates us from God. It's sin that's ultimate consequence if we're not right with God is gonna lead us to hell. It's, it's, it would be a lie for me to say that sin isn't pleasurable, but it would be also a lie to say that sin has no consequences. The consequences for the person who never trusts Christ is gonna be separation from God for eternity. The consequences for a father who doesn't lead his family well, but goes off in sinful things and watches the results in his family, there'll be consequences. The consequences of cheating on your taxes or, or I'm not um, doing the work that you should do, there will be consequences. And Moses comes to the point of going, I'm going to take the consequences now. I'm going to rather be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The mistreatment that'll happen with the people of God is going to lead to eternal life. It's going to lead to security and the hope and all that there is for the follower of Christ in glory. That was his hope. That's why he could make that decision and choose to pay that price I like verse 26. It's kind of an interesting how it's said. He said, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. So Moses is looking ultimately for what will come. But isn't it interesting that when it's talking about Moses, it talks about the reproach of Christ. Moses didn't even know how to spell Christ. It's like a long way away between Moses and who is Jesus Christ and what would he do. So, So why is it said like that? Why is it that the the writer of Hebrews said it like that? I believe it's because of what the people in the book of Hebrews were going through and the struggles they were facing. In Hebrews 10, 24, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as a manner of some is, but spur one another on to love and good deeds. And and they were in Christ and they were wrestling with it and they were struggling with it. And just like Moses would pay a price and the price, the suffering he paid was a picture of what we do in Jesus Christ. It was a picture for them to understand understand the commitments that we need to make and what God is doing, the way he is working. We ourselves should be willing to suffer temporary disgrace or reproach and even loss as we commit ourselves as God's faithful disciples. So church, don't live for what the world will promise you today. Live for what God has promised you in the future. The possibility of reward is the most frequently mentioned motivation for enduring in the faith in Scripture. It's all coming. Here's what's coming. Look what the Lord has done. Look what's coming. So Here's the next thing in verse 27, by faith, we do what others fear. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. So now he's about to lead the people out. And he's about to, um, after the, um, the plagues, he's gonna lead them out. But he didn't get there in a day. Remember I told you when he was at the burning bush, he had the excuses of why he shouldn't be doing it, why somebody else should be doing it and all the rest. Moses wasn't perfect, just like us. He wrestled with his things. He struggled through the things he had to struggle through. And he had five major excuses, five major things. It's like, Lord, would you just leave me alone on this? So he's watching as the burning bush is going on. God is challenging him as to what he's doing right in the middle of all of that. Like i say, saying, I'm going back to, it. I would think that I would be on the, oh Lord, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want, Lord. I'm, he's like, Lord, there's some things we need to get cleared up here. Here's the first one. Here was his excuse. And you can look them up when you get home. You can write them down. Exodus three eleven and 12, he says, who am I? Who am I? And God says to him, I will be, with you. Don't let it be lost on you that someday your pastor sits in his office or sits at home with the responsibility that God's called me to and I don't have my moments of who am I? There's people out there that are as gifted as I am. There are people like, who am I? And God says, I will be with you it doesn't even matter who you are. It matters who I am. I will be with you. And maybe the Lord's put something on your heart that you believe you've been called to do and you're on the, who am I? God says, I will be with you. The next thing he says is I'm not ready in Exodus 3, 13 to 15. He's on the, what if I don't say the right things or what if I don't have the right answers? I'm not ready. And... uh, And God says to him, I am, title of God, I am sent you. And you're talking to your neighbor and you wanna tell them about your relationship with Christ. You wanna talk about where you go on Sunday. You wanna see a door opened and you're filled with fear because what if I don't know the right verses or what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer to it? And Moses is being asked, to lead millions of people out of the land. I get it that he was struggling. And so he starts out with, who am I? And he says, I'm not ready. I don't think I got all the answers. I don't think I've got all the answers. And God says, you don't have to have all the answers. I am. I am sent you. I am sent you. I'm constantly amazed what God does in people's lives after a message, after we've been here, as he comes. And I'm like, where did that come from? And it's, I am. I am is at work. God is working in people's lives. We had uh, uh, last night in our service, if, if it could go wrong, it went wrong last night, all over the place, to the point by the end of the service, I was using a handheld microphone to preach the message. And, uh, and so at the end of that, you're just kind of like, why didn't we just all stay home tonight, right? But isn't it amazing what God does through the word? people were coming and lined up and they were praying and asking for things. There were people who'd never been to the church before standing at the front weeping and asking us to pray for them. And I'm like, Lord, I had the message all laid out. I had it all prepared. It was all supposed to work like this. God's like, Paul, don't you worry about, you don't worry about the results. You be faithful. And you watch what I do. He says, I'm not ready. And God says, "Um, you don't need to be ready. I am sent you. The next thing he says is they won't believe me or they won't listen to me. And that God gives them a staff. God gives us all the tools we need. The Holy Spirit in us, the word of God. But he gives them a staff and he says, throw it down on the ground. And he throws it down on the ground and it turns into a serpent. And then God says, pick it up by the tail. Now, I hate snakes Just a little bit less than cats, okay? (laughs) But there's no way I'm picking up a serpent by the tail. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know that's not the end that's gonna bite you. (laughs) So if you're gonna pick up a snake, you're gonna get behind its head, and that's where you're gonna... Now, I know, you watch the guys on TV, the zoo guys, and they pick them up, but, but they're all like this, and they do it all the time, and they got the little and they're keeping that thing away. Why? Because it's the other end where the danger is. And God says, you pick it up by the tail. And, uh, and he picks it up and it turns back into the staff. And God demonstrates his power for him. And although Moses is on the, what if they won't believe or listen to me? God is on the, who, who do you think I am? I'm the one with the power. I'm the one that's going to make the difference. Then in Exodus 4, 10 to 12, he says, I can't speak very well. And God says, "Um, who made your mouth? You don't think I can't take the things that you can't do and use them in a way that will be for my glory? Hey, church, But, but I can't talk to my friend because what if I don't say the right thing? What if I don't say it quite right? What if I misquote the verse? What if I, who made your mouth? the last one he gets to, because none of those are working in Exodus 4, 13 to 16, he says, God, could you just send somebody else? And God says, no, but I'll give you a helper. I'll give you one to come alongside you. And he gives him Aaron. And, um, but he says, you're going to tell Aaron what he's going to say. And Aaron's going to be the one who's going to say it. And then Abraham, excuse me, then Moses leads the people and they go out of the land. He sets his fears aside because he's fixing his eyes on Jesus Christ. And as a result, we do what others fear when we trust the Lord. Here's the next thing we do what others fear. And then in verse 28, We do the things that we're called to do. Notice in verse 28, real quick, it says, by faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Not only does he lead through the nine other plagues, but then this one where they're gonna put the blood on the doorposts and the angel of death's gonna fly over. Thousands of children are going to die and God's gonna preserve his people. By faith, I'll obey I'll do the things that God's called me to do. And the things that God has called you to do. A girl on Saturday night came up after the service and she's like, I'm struggling with what God's will is in my life about, should I go back to Hong Kong? Should I move there? Should I live there? And all those, we're gonna work with her through that as she works it through. But she's on, the, she's on the plan of, Lord, what have you called me to do? What do you want me to do? And I'm going to do it. We can do the things that we're called to do. We believe God's called us as a church to be about four pillars, one about the word and one about worship and one about evangelism and one about prayer. We're gonna do those things. We believe in discipleship. God desires that we be people of God who worship him and walk with him and work for him. And best we can, we're gonna keep our eyes on that and we're gonna do that. And I believe the reason God is growing his church is because we're doing the things he's called us to do by faith, by faith. We'll do the things we're called to do. The last thing is by faith, we impact others. Look at verse 29, by faith. After all is said and done, by faith. Moses and a couple million people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, we impact others. In the book of Acts in the early church, the disciples were going around and, their faith was causing a ruckus wherever they went. And the town leaders in the little places they were going in the synagogues would get all upset about these guys who would come. And here's what it says in Acts 17:6. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They were just regular, ordinary people like you and up, but by faith... Wherever they would go, their life would make an impact, and it was turning people's lives upside down. Your faith, whose life is it turning upside down? What difference is your faith making in someone else's life? And what are your excuses? Oh, Lord, send somebody else. Oh, Lord, I can't speak well. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And God says, I am with you. I am is with you. But I'm afraid, but I'm afraid, fear God, trust the Lord. Well, so what? I really believe we're on the verge of some pretty amazing things in our church. The reality that the Lord allowed us to be involved in a church plant in Durham and next week we will launch a campus church in Newmarket. The Lord's allowed us to have a role in Pleas Romania and countless other things God is doing as a church, let alone what God is doing from all of you as that spreads out by faith. Well, it's too much for us? Yes, it is. I don't know if I wrote, if I, I wrote it down. I don't know where I got it from, so if I made it up, I'm not gonna take credit because I'm sure somebody smarter than me said this, but if we don't need faith, we don't need God. If we don't need faith, we can do it on our own. If we don't need to trust, then it's just it's man's thing. We're manipulating things and things are happening. And so what is there in our church? The only way I can explain it is God is doing it. We've seen lots of those things in the stories in our lives and in our church. The beginning illustration of the man who said to me, going not knowing and seeing what God has done by faith. He's got no doubt at all about what God has done here. Well, it's pretty easy kind of on the church level because it doesn't kind of drive home to me, right? The church is me. And every one of you is a me in this illustration. And so what is the Lord doing in me? What is the Lord doing through me? What is my by faith thing? I will trust him. I will set aside my fear. I will move forward for the glory of God. By faith, we refuse to conform to the world. By faith, we do what others fear. By faith, we do the things we're called to. And by faith, we will impact others. God helping us, we will walk by faith. So we can say in our church, And in our lives, look what the Lord has done.